From the modified EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition after Florida State loses narrowly 41-38 in overtime to Notre Dame in a game that in so many ways uh, really seems like the kind of game that is a fitting tribute to Bobby Bowden in all sorts of ways from the, the kind of fight that this team showed and the, the way that they that actually looked like a Florida State team in so many ways, all the way to the missed 34-yarder to ultimately uh, cost this team the win. So just in many ways a fitting tribute to, uh, to Coach Bowden and really a better start to the season than most people expected from this Florida State team, given the talent levels and everything else that we uh, that we saw out there on the field. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, a quick detail, because I know lots of people are going to be talking about this, and that is the question of, of whether Mike Norvell made the right call in challenging the uh, then ruled on the field a, a fumble that put them back for basically a 50-yarder uh, to uh, to try to put three on the board in that first overtime period, or to give yourself a more makeable field goal. And obviously this is impacted by the fact that after the play was, uh, was blown dead, after that initial whistle, they snapped the ball and Fitz managed to, to kick it while there's no rush and everything else and put it through the uprights from what was it, 49 or 50 yards, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, that gave the impression that, well, you know, you, you, you had a kick that, that went through and you invalidated it and you basically iced your own kicker. And you're going to hear some people really criticize that decision. Fact of the matter is, it was the right call. You can't call, you can't base things on hindsight, first of all. So even if with Rush and everything else, even if you, if, you made the call right beforehand and it got blown dead mid-play and you, t- you basically took those points off the board, you can't know that your guy's going to make a field goal from that range, especially when he's not been reliable from that range and certainly isn't as reliable from that range as he is from inside 40 yards. You, can't, you, you just can't go on that basis. I mean, you haven't seen the future. So you've got to give the most makeable field goal you can. And, you know, you got to remember Fitz had just made his career long of 43 earlier uh, in in the fourth quarter. So, you know, a 37-yard field goal pretty much everywhere except for Florida State is a, is much better odds than a 50-yard field goal. It's just the way that it is. And so you, you, you make that call every time. It's not even a question. And, again, you emphasize process over results. You do the right thing every time, and eventually the results start to match up with the process. And – that's something that I think really has to be central in the way that, that this team is evaluated the rest of the year is you, you can't just look at results. You have to look at, is the process showing signs of moving in the right direction? Are there little levels of what, what's, what does the attention to detail look like? All of these other things, regardless of the win-loss question. Are things getting better? Are they improving at the rate? Are they showing cultural changes and all of those things that are necessary to get this program back on on the right track? Or, you know, as we saw during the Willie Taggart years, do things not give any indication of getting better? And we'll talk about this more further, but I think tonight was definitely uh, an indicator of a significant step forward across the board. 
Now, if there is anything to complain about, it's the play call on fourth and two from the 33 at the end of the third quarter. And I actually don't have a problem going for it there. I mean, that's a very Belichickian call from from Norvell uh, for a couple reasons. And it, it, this is this reminds me actually of when Belichick went for it in not that different of a situation. It's a little later in the game, but went went for it in Indianapolis years ago, uh, and he was crucified for it. And he said, "Look." <laughs> they were going to score regardless. They were they were likely to score regardless of whether we went for it from there or whether we punted it. It was just a matter of how quickly they scored, and you know we're going to get the ball back and be able to be able to um, to return to potentially return and answer that score uh, if they score from the short field. But they were going to score either way with the way our defense was playing. And the reality is, if you look at the third quarter, that third quarter was not pretty. That third quarter was a, you know, it was rough. Uh, the looking at the uh, at the quarter numbers here, third quarter, Notre Dame averaged twelve point six yards per carry. So if you're thinking about that and you're like, look, what's my best shot to win this game right now? I gotta I gotta keep the ball. I gotta score because if I give it back to them, it doesn't matter whether they're going eighty yards or whether they're going thirty yards. They're scoring touchdowns right now. So I got to score touchdowns. I got to hold on to the ball and not give them opportunities to score. So, I mean, that's the kind of thinking that he's got there is the defense was on their heels. They were gassed and were not playing all that well at that point in the third quarter. And he was doing everything he could to run the ball, maintain the football, and and try to put some points on the board to answer that and stem the tide, giving the defense a chance to uh, to recover a little bit there. And that was their best chance. Best shot at winning would have been extending that drive. Now, I think the place where you can really call things into question was the play call. They'd just been having success with Corbin on that direct snap, and he's been very good in short yardage going back to last year as well. If anything, go back to that well. (laughs) Go back to that sort of thing. Don't just try to get cute with the little sprint-out type throw against a very disciplined and fast defense where you're basically relying on someone not to be in the flat there. Or, you know, someone not to be able to run with Travis. And they covered it really well. I think by formation, they, they guessed well, and that was that. And you can criticize that call, but I think by and large, on lots of other things, you know, they, they did a reasonable job in those kinds of decisions. So not a whole lot to complain about there. So those are the first two things, little details to get out of the way uh, first. Now, in terms of the game itself and in terms of what we saw, I mean, when was the last time it was actually enjoyable to watch Florida State play? I mean, it's been a long time. And this this was actually, this is a, a Florida State team you can root for. You look at that, that group that was out there and you go, you know what, these guys, these guys play hard. For the first time in ages, that looked like a Florida State defense on that field. Now, not a talented Florida State defense, not especially talented and certainly not very deep, but a Florida State defense. They looked like they actually cared. They were playing with passion. I mean, the signature of Florida State football for so long was the effort level, the passion, and the pride on that side of the ball with the pass rush setting the tone with the physicality 
with guys running to the football and gang tackling and flying to the football from all angles and and just trying to get shots on guys playing you know flying to the ball like their hair's on fire i mean this was this was actually what we saw tonight from this florida state team they looked like a florida state defense and you know press coverage aggressive one-on-one play in the secondary challenging Notre Dame to beat them and Notre Dame did win some of those matchups and that's why they won the football game but that style of defense is what Florida State really is is there to play you know they didn't look slow and fat up front they looked like they had a group of guys that was going to be able to pin their ears back and and cause havoc up front and they did generate some havoc from that front four throughout the game or mostly throughout the game, not quite as much late in the game. They started getting tired. But, I mean, let's just listen to what I said in the preview in terms of what would be expected in terms of the the defensive performance. I think you're looking at probably being able to limit them. This Notre Dame offense against this Florida State defense, you're probably looking at under, say, six and a half yards per play given up would be a win for this Florida State defense, would be would be success, I think, for this Florida State defense in terms of, you know, you're two yards per play better than last year. And then you look at the outcome here, and they, they did better than that. I mean, 6.2 yards per play on the game. That, or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, 6.4 yards per play on, on the game. That's, a, that's better than expected. I mean, I said if they give up fewer than 6.5, you look at that as a success on the game. And they managed to do that. They held Notre Dame to 62 total yards in rushing. Now, some of that is, is due to sack yardage. You had five sacks, so that, that weights that down a little bit. But 1.9 yards per, per rush given given up in that game on 35 rushing attempts, you feel pretty good about that in this game. I mean, that was a major, major amount of progress in this game. Not one long run after giving up all those long runs last year. Now, of course, gave up. 400 passing yards, so or very close to. Looking at this, uh, let's see. Jack Cohn had 366 passing yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Didn't really slow down the passing game the way that you'd like, but I mean progress, significant progress on the defensive side. And again, looking like a Florida State team where. The, the defensive line, the starting defensive line looked legitimately good. This was not a situation where the, the reports coming out of camp were that they, they looked better, they looked good, simply because they were going against the Florida State offensive line. Johnson is better than I thought he'd be on the edge. You know, Two sacks in the first half. Keir Thomas is a, a great fit for what they're doing, and especially when he slides inside and is able to get some pressure from the inside. Briggs caused a lot of havoc on the interior, and they didn't give up a whole lot of ground overall inside against the run. I mean, they did a good job against the run. And you can see what they're going for up front with this group, where they looked in shape, they looked quick, and getting upfield and, and, and causing havoc rather than looking you know, just big and sloppy and getting pushed around in those cases. They looked basically a little bit smaller, but certainly a lot quicker in terms of what they were able to get up front. And and this looked like a good group and a group that you can win with as long as they are able to keep those guys on the field. And, you know, that that's a really, really good thing. So, 
you know, with Jack Cohn playing well, Notre Dame overall looking pretty good. I mean, they did benefit from a couple of uncharacteristic drops from Baby Gronk, but overall, this was a good defensive performance. Too many explosive plays, though. I mean, that, that there were there were definitely some rough spots. You had the blown coverage on the first drive. Uh, too many explosive plays overall. You had some bad technique from Travis Jay on both touchdowns allowed on those vertical routes. Uh, including one of them that was a dropped interception. I mean, he had his hands on the ball and let the receiver take it right away from him. And again, that was partly because of poor technique beforehand. Had he looked over the correct shoulder initially, he probably gets that that pick without too much difficulty. But um, again, this is the sort of thing that he's going to learn from. Uh, Of course, Akeem Dent dropped another interception, doing his job, though, from the safety position. And he actually looked pretty good at the safety position. Got juked a couple times. Uh, you know, didn't didn't finish some tackles. But overall, Dent looked like a player at safety. They, they the, the safeties were not a weak link overall on this defense. So, you know, pretty decent there. Now, depth problems, I think, definitely did show up in the second half. I mean, you had four four sacks in the first half, one sack in the second. And I think a lot of that ties to some of those guys up front just were not quite as quick off the ball, were not quite as fresh in the second half, and you could see them turning up the intensity, but they just didn't quite have it uh, late in the game. So, and, and you know, Johnson's a good example of that. He, there, there's just no way that you can play at his intensity level, this, the level that you saw him play in the first half, all game. Load management is going to be critical, and especially during the week. I mean, that's a guy... You can't really completely put him in bubble wrap during the week because you've got to keep him in enough shape to be able to play well on the weekends, and, and that's part of that is actually getting him moving in practice. But you have to be very careful about managing his load. He's a guy that you pay real close attention to those GPS numbers and all that to make sure that he's completely fresh going into every uh, every Saturday because he's going to be if, – if he plays like that and at that intensity level, there's just there's only so many snaps that you can do that. And, but just manages load and find ways to, to get other guys on the field in less critical spots so that you can maximize what you get out of him. But, man, he is a major upgrade at that spot and you know brought some of that Georgia front to, to Tallahassee in this game. Huge positive there. Linebackers up and down. I thought that was the best Kalen Deloach has played by far. Now, he did have – he was partly responsible for the one bust – that led to the first touchdown, but I thought he played physical and fast. You could see his speed to the edge a couple times, getting getting hold of those running backs, had generally good angles against the run. He was a revelation in this game. I mean, if he plays like that and, and continues to improve with a little bit of uh, experience, then linebacker's not as much of a weakness as it as it could be. Uh, Amari Gaynor was used as an edge rusher in their pa- in that in those packages, and that was good to see. And he was he played reasonably well overall that uh, made a few key tackles other really big rough spot here is 12.6 yards per play allowed in that third quarter as we mentioned already that's when Jack Cohn went eight for eight for 175 yards and two touchdowns I mean that's where over you, you had almost you had basically almost half of his production or just around half of his production in the third quarter that's really when they when they took took control of the game and he was picking them apart, and they just didn't have answers there. They weren't able to pressure him. They weren't able to uh, to cover quite as well at that point, and that was really where the game was was lost. Was was that? But you got to give him credit that they recovered to allow only two point four yards per play in the fourth quarter. 
Now, I felt like Notre Dame started to call the game a little bit not to lose, so that may have been a factor, but I still 2.4 yards per play in the fourth quarter, and that despite being visibly gassed up front from some of the guys on the field. So, you know, that, those are all real positives. The other big negative, again, is those dropped interceptions and just a few plays where, in addition to that, this team has to learn how to finish. The culture, in terms of playing hard, playing with passion and pride, the effort level compared to recent years where you would watch those teams and you could just smell the entitlement coming off the field. This, this group played hungry and played hard. That's easy to root for. That, that's, that's quality football. But they've got to finish. And that's the next step. You've got to learn how to finish. So that's, that's going to be something that they're going to preach looking at film. That's going to be something that, that they're going to emphasize for sure, that they just have to finish. going to pause for a moment, thank my sponsors, EPR Creations, best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, the best in the business out there. Tell them you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill. If you have, an, if you have any uh, real estate needs in the Research Triangle area, get a hold of Shen Real Estate, Shenandoah Real Estate. Uh, that's Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in North Carolina, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And then Garage Makeover is the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. Their information, of course, in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. Moving over to the offensive side, and there's less positive here, but still some positives. I mean, the biggest positives are you had, well, two of the biggest positives are the big plays. First of all, you got to see that Corbin does have some of, at least, most of, I don't know that he has all of it, but he has his burst and his long speed back from before he was injured. And there was some, you know, good buzz about that coming in in camp. But again, until you get to see him on the field with the the lights on and live rounds flying, you're you're just not sure. Well, 89 yards later, you got a sense that, yep, you know what? Maybe he's got that back. Good. <laughs> that's 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 a huge deal because they're going to need to get some big plays from the running backs this year. And Corbin showed that he's he's capable of producing some of those. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas with the 60-yarder on the slot fade bobbled that ball just a little bit uh, in a way that made me uncomfortable, but ran, ran and hide, you know, ran and hid from the uh, from the secondary from the, the the slot corner there that they got him matched up on. They they liked that matchup and basically decided, you know, they were they knew. As soon as that they got that matchup, that he couldn't run with Jakai Douglas. If anything, they could have tried to take a couple more of those shots over the course of the game. But uh, again, good to see some game-breaking speed there. Uh, I know there was very close to a fumble there at the end of this, but the same thing with uh, Corey Wren. You got to see his speed on the on the uh, kick return, and he's definitely you could see the track speed come out and and some things to to feel pretty positive about there. They're going to have to find ways to manufacture big plays, and there were some indications that they may have some guys that can that can make some of those plays in this game. Uh, Malik McLean also looked good on his one catch, uh, and looked good overall in terms of handling his business assignment wise and other and and blocking and all of those things over the course of the game. So you know, good to see him on the field week one. And honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him basically become the de facto starter at that spot sooner than later. I mean, I, I was projecting him as as essentially 
pulling that uh, spot by the you know last quarter, last third of the year. It may well be by you know the third or fourth game. I mean, he 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 looks like he belongs out there, and that's that's very positive because he's a guy that that talent wise is a step up in terms of uh, of wide receiver talent. I thought Jordan Travis struggled pretty mightily most of the game. He never looked comfortable. Never was a never never really seemed to settle down. And yes, some of that was due to pressure, but there were times where he, he seemed to be seeing ghosts and where he could have stepped up and away from pressure uh, or just slid over and then taken off through a gap. And for whatever reason, he's decided that the best uh, plan of attack is to spin to do the patented EJ Manuel uh, spin when he feels pressure. And it didn't go so well multiple times tonight when he would have just been better off stepping up and finding, you know, sliding into a, into a spot and keeping his eyes downfield a little bit more. And it was pretty clear that he just didn't feel comfortable as a thrower. Doesn't trust himself to throw into some of the windows that they were forcing him to throw into with the rush that he was seeing. And basically it was a, it, for him, the offense basically becomes chuck and duck or schoolyard football, uh, trying to make a play outside the pocket. But there was just not a whole lot of uh, of things of optimism to to pull from what he was able to do in the pocket, aside from the one throw to uh, Jakai Douglas for the long one there, which was a dime. That was a great throw, but you need more from the pocket from him. Nine for nineteen. It's you know less than fifty percent for one hundred and forty four yards, six point eight yards per attempt, and that's despite the sixty yarder, two touchdowns, and three ints. And the ints were ugly. Uh, those were not pretty throws. Uh, you know, you got to know where Hamilton is, and you got to make sure that you're not floating the ball out there in the, in the way that he did. So, the, not not so great. Uh, but then you had KZ Milton come in after the uh, after Travis's helmet came off. Oh my goodness, Milton looked like an absolute. He looked like a gamer, a baller, and to see him look like that after all he's been through and to put them for him to lead the two drives that get them into overtime. And actually maybe the most important play he made was the throwaway that gave them the, a chance to kick a 43 yarder instead of it would have been like a 55 yarder for him to be able to get his hands on that bad snap and get it out of bounds in the direction of a, of a receiver. That may have been the most important play he made. So, I mean, that, that was, that was good stuff. And, to see him play like that after all he's been through, if you if you weren't on the verge of tearing up or tearing up, and you weren't rooting for that kid, unless you're a Notre Dame fan, and even if you're a Notre Dame fan, you got to kind of be rooting for him. You, you, you got to question whether you even have a soul. I mean, it's just unbelievable to see him out there doing what he did. And, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's pretty pretty evident that he's going to need to be on the field more often than what he was in this game. I think you're going to need both quarterbacks all season without question. But I think as long as Milton is able to do it in terms of his leg, as long as his leg's not falling off or going numb, you know, he, he actually has control and comfort enough to be able to play. He needs to be out there more than he was because when he came in suddenly things changed. I mean, Notre Dame, first of all, was 
significantly less likely initially to to bring as much pressure against him, but he was more comfortable throwing it and throwing it into windows and putting the ball in spots. And and they're going to need that from him. Uh, we'll see how things go next week. We'll see once they once they're able to get a a, a little bit more um, a little bit a little bit lower intensity environment for him to be able to get a little bit more uh, uh, opportunity and for Travis to get a little bit more comfortable as well as they move into the remainder remainder of the schedule. But the fact is they, they're just not, they don't really have what they need at the quarterback position to be the offense that they need to be, but both guys are going to be needed and both guys bring some things to the table that, uh, that they're going to be able to build on over the course of the year. But there's just limitations there at the quarterback position. And hopefully Milton can continue to, uh, they can continue to manage his his load overall, and that he can he can uh, continue to come along and be more and more of a factor as a thrower. Because this offense really does look completely different. It changes as a uh, as an offense when you have the ability to make the throws that Mike Mike Norvell wants to make in this offense and within the scheme of the offense without turning every play into a into a, a schoolyard situation. I do want to give Jordan Travis a lot of credit for. His attention to detail on things like ball handling, though. I mean, his play action fakes, different things like that, uh, footwork in general, uh, when he wasn't getting happy feet due to pressure, you can really tell how much he's worked at his game. And, and, uh, and I think that's something that, that shouldn't be uh, neglected in, in the analysis here. I thought Corbin and Ward both looked like quality backs. Uh, Ward just continues to uh, to be better than what I expected him to be. Uh, I know coming out, you're excited to get a three-star back and a guy of his quality as a, as a walk-on, but I was skeptical as to really how good he would be this year. But there were times where he looked like another eight. I mean, he looked like Devontae Freeman with his vision and just his patience and then that burst north-south to, with a, with a bit of a vengeance, looked kind of like a young Devonte Freeman. I mean, he doesn't have quite the size that Freeman had, especially by the time he got a little bit older and had put on a little bit of weight. But I mean, Freeman was not a huge guy either. But runs with with that kind of purpose, and that's something that they can really use over the course of the season. I mean, he he made the offensive line look a good a, a look a good bit better when he came in. So that that's a positive. Now looking forward, thinking about what this team showed tonight. I think there's a lot to be excited about just in terms of culture, the lack of entitlement, the hunger, the effort level that you saw, the guys doing their jobs at different points. I mean, just as simple as guys not being, not freelancing and not being in the wrong spots on defense, it really made a difference to see a coordinated defense. Now, there were calls and some things that you could quibble with, and there were, they definitely gave up more plays than they needed to in terms of, of explosive plays, but overall they looked like they were working together and working together with great effort. And that's, you know, that's 80% of defense right there. So that's a big part. Um, I had my questions of how this team culture would, would last once they got punched in the face and we saw them take a punch. They went down 18 in the third quarter and this team did not fold. They fought back, tied the game, took it to overtime and man, if they'd have been able to win it, then that does wonders for your confidence. But just taking a top 10 team to overtime and showing that, look, we, we belong with teams like this. 
even when we're down by 18, we can fight back. There's no reason. Like, we're Flor- this is Florida State. Like, that attitude was there. And that's not been there. In recent years, they go down by, you know, 10, 14 points in the third quarter, and that game's over. It just, you know, it, it, when, it, when it becomes fight or fold time, those teams are folding. This team got to fight or fold time, and they fought. And that is huge progress. So I, I left this game convinced that this team can win some games. Now, I'm maybe not as surprised as some. Uh, going back to the pregame podcast, for example, I had this game as a, 31 to, as a uh, 34-31 Notre Dame win with Florida State with a 45% chance of winning this game. And it came out to right about that. I mean, that's basically what it felt like for most of the game. So, you know, I, I think that was basically accurate. And I had uh, I projected the offense at 6.2 yards per play. They're at 6.1. So basically in line with what I expected in terms of a lot of the outcomes. But in terms of what I saw in terms of fight, in terms of some of the places where I was most concerned seeing a little bit less to be concerned about in some of the places where I was just not quite sure how good they'd be, seeing them better than they were, and just the culture, this team, I, I feel better about than, than what I did going into the season, despite the loss. Now, would I pick them to win eight games from here? No. But it's looking a lot more plausible now than it was at the beginning of the season. This is still probably a six-win team, but it could be the best six-win team in the country if it comes to that given the schedule and other things. So, I mean, the real qu- there, there's still some questions here. I mean, how are they going to handle the disappointment of the loss? I mean, how much did they put into this game and invest into this game to show that they could play, to show that you know they belong, to shock the world or whatever? How much is, is that disappointment going to impact them? How much is that going to affect the culture? So you still worry about some of that, but less so than what you saw so far. This team looked much healthier culture-wise than recent years. And if you're just thinking about recruiting, this was a big recruiting weekend with a lot of elite targets on campus for this game, to see this game. And they got a great atmosphere in Doak Campbell Stadium with a game that's, that, that was close down to the wire. You got to show the progress that you're, that you're selling these, these elite recruits on. You got to show that, look, we're not that far from competing with top 10 teams. We're not that far here. You just... We just need you, and you got to show the progress and the the culture that they would actually want to be a part of, all while still being able to say, "And look at where we actually need you." If we, you know, if we'd have just had you and you and you out there tonight, we'd have won this game. And we're the top ten team. We're just that close. We're as close as as having you guys here. That's what you're able to tell those guys. So that's a huge deal. And I'm already, you know, after the shortly after the game, hearing. Uh, that this was a very successful recruiting weekend. And more will come out about that in the very near future. But this was a good recruiting weekend, folks. And this was a big step forward for the program. You know, you add an A.J. Duffy to, to some of this. You add some of the other players, a Travis Hunter and some of these others that are, that are, uh, are going to be stepping on campus next year. And, and you continue to build on this kind of culture that we saw today. And those are some very good signs. So... I'll just go ahead and wrap it there. This has been the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.
The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi, as well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.